This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome, everyone, back to the broadcast. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network, and I am joined on this beautiful Friday morning, 9.22 a.m., Anno Domini 2023, Tracy Pearson. Tracy, how are you? Dave, I'm good. How are you? I have a cold. You, you got a cold? I don't even hear it in your voice. Well, your voice sounds... I have to admit, it does sound a little sexier and throatier, mm-hmm. kind of. I get I, I get one good day. I get one good day where it sounds better, and then it's just uh, it's just nasal nonsense from here on out. It, it sounds good. You should go with this all the time if you could sustain this. Just a perpetual cold, the for one day of your cold for the rest of your life. Did you ever read the Gay Talese feature about Frank Sinatra having a cold? I did not. I, I like to think of myself as the Frank Sinatra of podcasting, and uh, I think somebody everyone should do a does, Dave. On that. That's so funny because everyone thinks that about you. Yeah, I know people have said that. Um, I got a cold. So you have good nasal. You have good nasal things going on. I've got I've got good nasal things, bad throat things going on. Mm-hmm. Um, it hurts. I am I am entering man cold territory where I will begin whining about it. But that day has not yet been reached. That will be tomorrow morning. Okay. We're looking forward to it. Can you check back in? I will after the game tomorrow when I record a post-game broadcast where I sound That's like... That's when it will really kick in. Horrible, yeah. horrible butt. But here we are. Um, if you all were tuning in last week, you heard an interview we did with Mick Cronin. Uh, you will note we did not talk about football. That's interesting because uh, we are two games into the 2023 football season. Um, and admittedly, we finished that with... Uh, Coach Cronin, and we said, we need to do some football. And we both said, uh, l- l- maybe not. We're both kind of tired. Yeah. So we, we, we will admit we came up really short on you guys last week. Sorry. And so now we're going long on you. Long. Um, we got to we talk short. Now we're long. We got to talk a lot of things. We got to talk about football, what we've seen so far. Maybe some of our concerns going forward based on what we've seen so far, but also just some of the really good things we've seen so far. What the Pac-12 is looking like, uh, briefly about the game this weekend, but a lot of football topics to delve into. Where would you like to begin our potpourri discussion, Tracy? Well, first off, uh, I want to talk about North Carolina Central. Okay. I, I know they're FCS. I know they won. What was the bowl name? I think it's the Celebration Bowl is what the they call celebration it. Celebration Bowl. It's a great and they, name. They beat yeah, it is a good name. They beat Deion Sanders last year, by the way. Um uh, so 
if you're one of the better FCS teams, mm-hmm. and let's just assume they are, even though they might not be this top twenty five ish, I would call it. Okay. They they could beat some midland to lower FBS teams on a really good day, but most of the time they're they're not as good as even a lower, lower end FBS team. So here's how I say. would here's how I would categorize the FCS level. The top four or five teams in the FCS can be expected to beat the bottom 15, call it, FBS programs, right? You line up North Dakota State against UConn, North Dakota State's winning by 14. Like, that's going to happen. Apologies to Jim Mora. Um, The top five or so FCS programs can be expected to do that. They will reliably beat the very worst of the FBS. They'll be competitive against the middling. NC Central is not at that level. Uh, NC Central is top 25-ish, uh, meaning they're not getting the best FCS players. Um, they've got a couple of nice pieces. Their quarterback, Davius Richards, really good. Um, he'll be a fringe uh, NFL free agent type. Um, they've got a couple of nice defensive pieces. Their safety, uh, Khalil Baker, he's pretty good. Um, but they also have a 255-pound left tackle. Um, they're starting true freshmen at critical spots where you usually want weight gain and a lot of different stuff. They don't have a ton of FBS transfers. If you remember, even Alabama State last year had more FBS transfers than NC Central does this year. It's, it's, a, it's a talented and well-coached FCS-level team. It's good for the FCS. But what that means is if they played UConn tomorrow, uh, UConn's probably favored. And probably beats them, I wouldn't say handily, but they beat them. On a really, really good day, NC Central will be competitive with the bottom 15 to 20 of the FBS. On a really, really good day where they're playing perfect football. UCLA right now is a top 25 team in the FBS. It's the equivalent of an NFL team playing UCLA tomorrow, except it's UCLA in the NFL team's position. Uh, They should win by, by five touchdowns. And that will only be from like limiting themselves. You know, it's funny because usually when people on the forum and they say things, hey, we got to take every game, game by game. You know, that's what, let's not get ahead of ourselves. And you and I always say, uh, we're not playing the games. This is what we do. We can get ahead of ourselves. Right. For some reason though, I'm feeling uh, antsy about doing that. I just want to give North Carolina Central its due that it is a game that we, (laughs) we don't, Getting ahead of yourself and then is different than completely ignoring uh, um, an opponent. And your preview was fantastic. Just how much you, uh, I would say there could be a tendency among people, hypothetically, if you're going to do a preview of North Carolina, just to kind of skate over them, not do too much. Dave, you that was that was phenomenal. Everyone, seriously, stand up right now and give Dave respect. Thank you, thank you. Yeah. Uh, I, I I wrote less, but that was more a function of uh, NC Central not having a ton. Like it's harder to get not a lot of information. It's yeah. harder to get information. It's harder to get statistical information, even beyond um, like who's starting. Like they did a their sports inf- information staff for an FCS school. They did a great job got a good depth chart, um, got good information about all the players on their website, but there's just not, there's nobody um, compiling really great FCS level advanced stats, which you like to, you know, I like to build that into the beginning of a preview. 
So you have to kind of go with the raw stats, like points per game, all that kind of crap, which is generally not very satisfying. Um, here's so this well, weekend. Wait. First, just to put this all in context, too, I just looked up FCS wins versus FBS teams. So far, there have been three this season. Yeah. Uh, last year, there were one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Oh, there was a there was a power there was a power five. Northwestern got upset by Southern Illinois. Yeah, uh, yeah. And so the next. Oh, the neck, the biggest upset was in 2021 in recent years. Montana upset number 20 ranked Washington. Yeah. Um, which year was that with Washington? 2021. Uh, Washington's 2021. They were ranked at that time. Yes. But by the end of the year, Washington in 2021 was fifth in the Pac-12 North and four and eight overall. Yeah. Yeah. So usually what a loss to an FCS portends in the early season is that you are very bad. Um, so, and just to give people context, Illinois State uh, this year is one of the top 15 or so FCS programs. I would guess they were something similar last year. And North Northwestern was very much so one of the worst FBS programs. So kind of in line with what I was saying. And then this weekend, if you want another FCS game that you actually should keep an eye on, Sac State against Stanford, I can't find a line on it. If there was one, Sac State would almost certainly be favored. Uh, Sac State is the fourth best FCS program, and Stanford is, as we were saying, one of the worst FBS programs this year. And Uh, to put that in context, further context, Troy Taylor's former team. Correct. So that one, I think... That's the head coach of Stanford, So Bill, if you guys aren't following. Yeah, Bill Connolly's numbers have that as a Sac State by five game. And that's at Stanford. So that's even building in some home field advantage for Stanford. Uh, on a new... if, if, if UCLA had a bye, I'd be tempted to go to that yeah. game. But, yeah. but uh, on a neutral field, that would be like a seven-point game. But what that means is, if you go by those numbers, uh, NC Central would still be a dog to Stanford. They would be about a... Uh, in a similar situation, they'd be about a touchdown dog. So well, From what I can see, there's only been four upsets of F... Uh, FCS teams over a ranked FBS team. And I bet like what we did with Washington, if we went back and looked the ranked FBS team probably ended up the season pretty badly. So yeah, I'm not even talking that there's a threat that North Carolina central could, could, you know, beat UCLA. I I just think it's their opponent. We want to, we as the purveyors of Bruno product, report online want to prepare our readers for the team so that they're well-versed and knowledgeable. Right. So here's what I think you can expect. Could this be one where it is like oddly and weirdly uncomfortable for like most of the first quarter? Sure. NC state NC central has enough players that I I wouldn't be stunned if it's seven, seven for a, like a slightly uncomfortable period of time in the first quarter, I would be stunned beyond measure if, NC Central scores more than 14 points in non-garbage time. Um, they might score an early one. Uh, Davius Richard is a fast guy. He might break containment at some point and run for a long game. Um, but down to down, uh, UCLA outclasses them at literally every single position. It 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 shouldn't be a, a thing where, oh, wow, that team sneakily has a really, really, really good front seven and they're putting pressure on... Dante Moore that 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 shouldn't happen well well let's talk about this team now we've we've been able to watch them for two weeks and we haven't been able to talk about them that much no. well at all so Dave 
at this time of year, as I've said, we do good cop, bad cop, and you're the good cop and I'm kind of the bad Mm -hmm. cop. So let's, I mean, I've got a lot of positives about the team, but why don't you start with the positives? Well, I wouldn't say like, so I'm, I'm, uh, it's hard for me. So when I am, uh, left with a, uh, a deficit of information, I'm inclined to just kind of go with what my eyes are currently seeing. Um, and right now we have a deficit of information because we do not know how good Coastal Carolina or San Diego State are. My yes. my suspicion is that they're not very good at all. Um, my suspicion is that Coastal Carolina is uh, taking a major step back from the Jamie Chadwell years, which if you read my preview, I was thinking was going to happen anyway. Spot on. And San Diego State uh, doesn't have an offense. They just don't. Step, step back for what we've seen from them, from them the last few years. Right. I think. So... With that being said, though, you have UCLA having uh, won the Coastal Carolina game despite messing around at quarterback uh, and then thoroughly uh, uh, dismantling San Diego State. I know you were a little cheesed off by it, but if you look at the underlying stats, they should have scored a lot more. Um, they they dominated. They had, a, I think it was 300 more yards, total yards, um, which I'm not a big totals guy, but when the totals are that different, it's worth acknowledging. Um, what I would say so far is I've been um, very impressed with what I've seen from Dante Moore. Uh, he's exceeded my expectations. Um, I thought, yeah, I thought he was going to be good. I didn't expect him to be making um, as many wow throws as he's made with so few mistakes. Um, I was expecting, you know, just the, the kind of stuff we saw in spring where, um, not so much an arm strength issue as a knowing when to zip it and when not to uh, against, you know, underneath, you know, against safeties crashing down on a, on a receiver. He's been much better than I was expecting. He's, I mean, that, that touch on deep balls was an expectation, but just the way he's hitting receivers intermediate uh, has been impressive. And then um, that's the one thing on offense that I think has, uh, Kind of yeah, let, let me add a little bit about, about Dante Moore. So if you see him in person, I know I know he's been listed at 6'3". 6'2", maybe. And, and maybe 6'2". But if you stand next to him, uh, I, I mean, I, I don't know how tall. He's not physically imposing player, right? No, and he's weirdly um, skinny. Yeah, his athletic, decently athletic, like – when you first saw Dorian Thompson Robinson play in high school, you're all, wow, man, there's some athleticism there. And then even with Dorian Thompson Robinson, when you saw him throw, wow, there was some arm strength there. So, and we noted quite often that with Dante Moore, there isn't overwhelming arm strength either. So there's a lot of measurables, let's say, where he's just kind of average. Um but the immeasurables, the intangibles, you know, you know, he's kind of, now this is a comparison raising expectations, but he's kind of Joe Montana. He's that Joe Montana kind of guy, right? No, not very big. Uh, it's not just, a strong just so arm. everyone's aware, uh, Ch- uh, Tracy has now uh, broken <laughs> See, the news. I take that back. Broken Let's the news it. that uh, Dante back. Moore is the next Joe Montana. Thanks, Dave. You're the one who's supposed to. Uh, qualify that to help me out, not make it worse. Um, but it's funnier this way. <laughs> it is, though. So when you do something to be funny, I'll let it go. Um, but you know what I'm saying? He's just got a feel. He's he's very 
talented. Yes. Um, he's he's got a great feel and great natural instincts, the kind that you just don't see. Dorian Thompson Robinson has all those measurables, yep. right? But kind of lacked what Dante more naturally had. Well, and the thing with Dorian, and this is something... Put them together, and my God. The thing I'll say with Dorian that I I give him a ton of credit for is he had almost none of that at the very beginning of his UCLA career, and he painstakingly developed and carved out the bit that he got by the end. Like, you could see him in real time, like, just kind of... Just grabbing as much of those like kind of mental reps that Dante Moore has been getting since he was I don't know he was probably playing competitive football at seventh grade but yeah, and he didn't need the the mental reps I don't think Dante Moore he just it's a natural feel I, I just want to give Thompson Robinson an immense amount of credit has there been another quarterback just off the top of your head at UCLA who improved himself so much to make him a viable NFL quarterback. The only like one he did. I mean, it's and a, worked that hard. It's a very, yeah, I, I don't think there's anyone who has the combination of work ethic. The closest thing would be like a Drew Olson, who uh, in recent times, I would say, who went from like, you know, borderline unplayable when he was young to, you know, a, 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 a guy who actually got looks as an NFL free agent as a fifth year senior. Um, that would be the only one who I think improved mightily from his beginning to the end. But that wasn't, I mean, that was combination of different weapons and, you know, all that kind of different stuff. But uh, Dorian, the individual improvement and the work ethic there, I think is pretty much um, unmatched in, in recent UCLA history. Now prepare yourself. Dante Moore still, we're blowing him up here a little bit, but he's going to make freshman mistakes. He's going to. But he's going to make some plays that just aren't freshman-like either. So it's going to be a fun season. And we would expect that he'll continue to get better throughout this season to where there are less freshman-like mistakes and more talent-laden uh, uh, plays that kind of blow us away. Yeah. So that that's probably the main, main thing that's exceeded my expectations offensively. I would say the other thing that's been maybe a slight, uh, and this is only relative to my very recent expectations for it, because I was expecting the offensive line to look very different, and I was expecting it to be pretty decent this year. And I think it so far has been r- relatively decent. I wouldn't have expected it to be relatively decent with the way it ended up being constituted with Bruno Fina starting at left tackle, Josh Carlin playing right guard, only one of the transfers coming in and starting, uh, Duke Clemens at center and Garrett DiGiorgio right tackle. I wouldn't have expected it to have, um, and I'm not saying it's been lights out. It hasn't been, but I wouldn't have expected it to perform as well as it has through two games uh, two weeks ago. And again, um, the caveat that you said at the top, that who have they played? Yet? Right, and we don't yeah. know. I'm going to keep just saying caveat, so I don't have to keep repeating that. Because yeah, yeah. that when we go through all of this, that's you have to keep that in mind at all times. Right. Um, and I would say even with that caveat in place, I still would have expected more busts. Like, I still would have expected against a, like a mediocre San Diego State. Like, say it's a mediocre defense this year and not a very good one. I would still expect, you know, they're going to have some exotic 3-3-5 blitzes that make them go, huh. And it wasn't 
it, it wasn't anywhere near as bad as I was expecting it to be. So here's the, for me, the interesting part of the offensive line, like, like you said, if you would have told us that this would have been the starting offensive line, we, I mean, before I, I would have been a little, I would have been pretty concerned. It would have um, changed. I, I think it would have to add on to it. Wait, preview. just to add on to it. Duke Clemens too, who we would have hands down bet would be the best offensive lineman has not probably been. He's faltered a little, um, a bit so far. He's still good. He's still fine, solid, but he's had a couple of more breakdowns than we would have expected. No, it's been Garrett DeGiorgio and Josh Carlin who have probably been the strengths of the offensive line. Yep. And, and even Holstedge has just been okay. Yeah. Um, We were thinking, given what he had done at Purdue, how many snaps and what he looked like on tape that, He'd come in. There's such a precedent for UCLA getting offensive line transfers and plugging in and being immediately very good, and we thought that would happen with him. And he's been solid, fine, but some breakdowns there too. So it, they haven't even been what – if you would take Carlin, right, and just uh, – um, and, and Fina and throw that, they are still not doing what we would have thought even if we would have known that. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree, and it's um, – so I would say that one, it's it's kind of hard to say it's, like, exceeded my expectations, but it's just relative to um, kind of the very recent information that Fina and uh, Carlin would be starting. So that's offensively – I would say everything else is more or less we, – we'll get into the nitty-gritty of it. I want to touch on defense, too, because this is the other headline that keeps getting kind of um, undersold because of the quarterback situation. Uh, the defense – so this is the part where like it's been very good against these two teams. I wouldn't say anything has actually supremely exceeded my expectations because we talked about this preseason. We thought the front seven was going to be pretty good. We thought it was going to be improved. If there's a particular thing I would identify as exceeding my expectations, if you asked me in December of last year, it would probably be defensive tackle and inside linebacker. Um, but relative to what we saw during spring and then what we heard going into the season and just looking at, you know, Jay Toya physically, uh, it really hasn't. I mean, I was expecting them to be a lot better, and they have been through two games against again, one very overmatched offense and one that's breaking in a new offense. Yeah. Um, I think they, the, the front seven have been what we, we should have expected. Uh, returned, there's some high-level talent. I mean... Layatu Latu is a talented guy. Um, just, just in, in from what we saw in our twenty minutes of practice, um, Jay Toia looked better. Um, Gary Smith looked better, just not physically, but quicker. Um, I, I think what we've seen was was predictable, and I think we kind of semi predicted that. I, I think we kind of nailed it. I thought we thought that. Linebackers would be improved and better. Um, and the question mark was going to be cornerback. So and, that and has even, all played out. And even safety, we were like, well, we liked what Kenny Churchwell looked like in spring. Um, yes. And yeah, it's a it's a difference. We were expecting Jordan Anderson um, to come in and start. But kind of the theme this year is that transfers have not just walked into starting roles. And in fact, the guy he didn't supplant, Kamari Ramsey, uh, has been arguably UCLA's second best defensive player. So that's so much to talk about right there. And I don't think we have the time. Um, UCLA has done well in transfer recruiting. Uh, Let's just face it. 
if the transfer portal hadn't happened and UCLA hadn't got that uh, graduate uh, um, program in education for graduates, I don't think Chip Kelly would still be at UCLA. No way. <laughs> so, so yeah, it's huge. And since he's been getting these transfers, he's plugged in guys, Zach Charbonnet, right? Uh uh, Raekwon O'Neal, guys who have come in and really made made impacts. Not so much with this transfer class. Um, and then you made the point, Kamari Ramsey is a redshirt freshman. And, and seriously, in watching, I watched this game two and a half times, he's jumping out at me yeah. watching this defense. Um, so it's a reminder that not only, yeah, okay, transfer recruiting is good, but Wow, this year didn't really turn out as as well when it comes to transfers really having big immediate impacts like they did in the past uh, from transfer to transfer. And when you really recruit well on the high school level, a redshirt freshman can step up and be one of your top two or three defensive players. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I guess I'm saying... It's hard to rely on transfer recruiting every year that, that that's the safety net. Oh, well, and this is the way UCLA is recruiting now. We'll take 13 high school guys and we'll rely on the transfers. If you, if you do that, you might end up with a couple of years where you don't get big impact transfers. And then where are you? I think so, it's just, you know, it's, it's generally good to have top uh, 300 guys on your team. I don't know. Weird thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, generally. Yeah, I think. Uh, <laughs> I mean, Kamari Ramsey just stands out the talent level. That, and that's the thing is like you see a guy like that and you're just like, wow, wow. Um, just we forgot what guys like that look like. Remember when we saw Miles Jack? Yeah. In San Bernardino. Yeah, and this is. I mean, this is like the. You know, I mean, it's. It's a version of just you know, but it's like. This guy wouldn't stand out on like a talented UCLA team in like I don't know, uh, 2013 or something. But in this one, it's like, whoa, okay, um, you know, not just like a fundamentally sound, but like just going out there and making big plays, tracking ball carriers, um, great instincts, great awareness, all this different stuff. Tackles and, for loss. Oh, and he's a redshirt freshman. Okay, yeah. cool, cool, cool. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, he's been really good. But cornerback, um, and this is the one where, like, I don't want to get too into singling out a single player, but it's not even just cornerback. Um, Devin Kirkwood's had a really tough start to the year. Um, I don't know what it is. He's not, he doesn't look like he's playing with as much confidence. I think that's a big part of it. I think you need to have, you need to have, like, a sense of athletic arrogance about you if you're going to play that position. Uh, because, like, think about how often you're getting your ass beat. Like, you're getting beat so many times. And you need to have that short memory, but you also need to have that, oh, I'm going to get him next time. I'm going to totally get him next time. And that needs to be like the constant refrain. Like, And we've seen it before with cornerbacks uh, who lose confidence. There was the famous Rodney Van, who was like an awesome, awesome kid. But he lost confidence and literally pulled himself out of a game because he was hurting the team. Um, you, you run into that if you kind of lose that athletic arrogance. And I don't know, but just vibes wise, looking at him body language wise, it doesn't just doesn't look quite right. And then on top of that, looks a step slow to me. And I don't know how much of that is gaining. You know, he famously went up to 200 pounds um, this season after playing at, 
I think he was saying he was at 185 last year, something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, or at least that's where he started. And I don't know because we were watching him practice and he looked fine carrying that weight, but um, I, he looks. I'll say he that. Yeah. Slow now. I'll say this about cornerback play, though. I, I mean, they didn't look good in that first game. Um, then we saw cornerback coach Cody Whitfield really get after them in practice. Um, not only, not only getting after them, but doing a lot of walkthroughs. Because what, after watching the tape and really watching that first game, you, they were in a zone that called for a press from the cornerback, and they. The cornerbacks, just not Kirkwood, uh, chose to drop a little. They were just making the wrong decisions. In this game against San Diego State, if you go back and watch, there's a lot of pressing and pressing in zone. Um, And it worked. I liked it a lot. John Humphrey did well, and the best cornerback on the team right now, Jalen Davies, both of them did well. So that Cody Whitfield, to his credit, Semi fixed, of course. Caveat again, but semi fixed it. Um, hopefully, the fix will will be sustained. So that's my positive: is that um, they improved, and then they clearly. How many times have you and I over the years seen something where there's a weakness, and the coaches are like? Uh, an ocean liner turning around to, to adapt and make a change to compensate. Dude, they're looking for cornerbacks right now. Yeah. Um, they moved Jaden Marshall, the wide receiver to cornerback this week. They've moved a walk on freshman to the team Jersey, not the scout Jersey. They're looking for guys to step up and give them opportunities to play at cornerback and can't blame Cody Whitfield really because this is, the result of many years of neglectful cornerback recruiting, and he's trying to do what he can with what he has. But an immediate reaction from the from the coaching staff and from Whitfield, which was really for me, really encouraging. You don't usually see that. Usually, it, I don't know. They're like bureaucrats to get them to to change and adapt. Yeah. No. Agreed. Um, I think there's been a couple of kind of positive signs in that respect. I think that's a good reflection on Whitfield. I think it's a good reflection on Lynn um, making those kinds of top level decisions and also enforcing because, I mean, that's always been the constant refrain is like, oh, is it the cornerbacks who are dropping off or is that part of the scheme? And a lot of times it's the technique that the cornerbacks are playing. It's not necessarily a reflection of what the intention is with the scheme, but there's just this like disconnect. Um Addressing that disconnect this quickly is 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 a good sign. And we again, this is one where there's a caveat, which could have been single game related. San Diego State was going to be a run heavy team. So you want your cornerbacks closer to the line of scrimmage to help with run support. Now we'll see it, um, you know, against a team like, say, Washington State in a few weeks. Um, will they play the same sort of coverage technique? I would expect against Utah they will. Because Utah is, uh, I'm not expecting Cam Rising to be back for that unless he comes back this week. Um, and if it's you know still Nate Johnson, they're probably not going to be throwing the ball uh, downfield a ton either. But something to monitor. Um. 
The baseball season is in full swing, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Stample, every weekday as we recap every player from every game. We'll talk waiver wire ads, drops, players to trade for, prospects who could make an impact, and everything in between. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. And then there's the stuff that I think are curiosities. Tracy, because those are the things that I think I've got a curiosity for you, and I bet we're going to have the same one. All right, you hit me. Wide receiver rotation. Yeah, buddy. That was going to be where I was going first. Um, Nothing against Logan Loya. He's a solid player. Um, But damn, this is the Logan Loya show. Um, You've got one. There was something that was disconcerting that you might not have heard. It was on the initial TV broadcast. This is the yeah, benefit. because I'm in the press box and I don't get to hear all that. Uh, Chip Kelly was apparently talking it up, talking up Logan Loya to the TV broadcast crew before the opener against Coastal Carolina, saying that he thought he was poised for a breakout year. Well, he is if you keep getting that many targets compared to the rest of the wide receivers. <laughs> and this is not a dog Logan Loya show. Um, no. But solid receiver should be in the rotation. Absolutely. But we've seen a we've, lot of Logan Loya this, in his UCLA career. J. Michael Sturdivant and Kyle Ford should just be getting more targets. Uh, uh, Cam Brown? Braden Pagan, I don't think, has seen the field. Or if he has, it's been very minimal. And then there's the curiosity of Titus Mokia Oatamalala, who has not played. He's practiced, but he hasn't played. So that might be something besides an injury. Yeah. Maybe. Just speculating. Don't quote us on this. But it's curious that he's. it seems like he has nothing wrapped and he's practicing, but he has not he hasn't even gone in for like one play, like Cam Brown has occasionally had a few snaps. He hasn't played. Yeah. So, yeah. I would. Uh, I, 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 so this is, um, I think, something that may be a slight frustration about um, uh, just the way uh, Chip Kelly's. I, I think without a central figure like a tight end to throw to, um, and the only guy who really fits the mold of like even a Jake Bobo type who could play like essentially a pseudo tight end role is probably Kyle Ford. But I think with with them being more outside receiver oriented this year, trying to get the ball to Sturdivant, it's like that necessitates more distribution. Um, because if you remember watching like when they had Devin Asiasi or Greg Dulcich or uh, Caleb Wilson, it was like force the ball to that guy basically every time every time you're throwing the ball. And we saw what happened in San Diego State in the one series where they targeted him three times. He caught one and two and pass he, interference and two pass interference. He had five targets for the entire game and three in that series. The rest of the game before it was garbage time, it was the Logan Loya targeting show. Yeah. So why, I, there's got to be a reason you go away from Sturdivant. Uh, and I was, you'd have to speculate maybe they just don't want to put on tape how they're going to use him uh, in preparation for Utah. That seems a little. I, doesn't hold a lot of water to me. No, and then I, I Kyle Ford. Why not Kyle Ford? Yeah, I, I don't really buy that. Um, yeah, I don't either. I, I look at it more as um, it's a missed opportunity because whatever you think Logan Loy is going to do with the ball, uh, Sturdivant will do it better. 
Um, so that that little corner route that he caught that was the the great throw to the sideline, uh, Sturdivant does that easier. He's four inches taller. Um, his reach is higher, so he catches that ball easier. Um, uh, Sturdivant um, probably doesn't have those two drops that hit Loy in the hands. You know, um, Kyle Ford probably doesn't have those two drops, but maybe um, he was a little less reliable on the uh, short stuff. But um, th- this is where I think not having like, um, you know, the way USC uses its star receivers when it truly has one, like the way Sark or Kiffin did where they would just ride Marquise Lee and Robert Woods like just into the dirt and they would catch 100 balls. This year's UCLA team could use a little bit of that. You know, just, okay, Sturdivant and Ford, you guys are lining up on the outside on 85 to 90% of snaps. And we're going to target you each about 10 times. And everyone else will get little, you know, release valves and that sort of stuff. But we're going to target you guys. Um, And I think they just don't have that mentality of, you know, forcing it up to the outside guys. Um, And I think some of it is like risk aversion. I think it's it's um, less risky to throw to your inside guys, which is Logan Loy as a slot receiver. Um, but I just it does seem a little bit like the distribution is off here early. Yeah, you would have to say. Um, and Ryan Cragen also playing quite a few snaps, and yes. he's got a couple of catches this year. As of right now, when it comes to catches, Sturdivant has seven. Loya had uh, Logan Loya has seven. Um, Kyle Ford has four. Um, it just it, like you said, I would just go to that Sturdivant well all day long. Yeah, all day long, and, and and wait until a defense has to compensate for that. And once they once they do that and do something, they bracket him just to try to shut him down. You know that's going to do to the rest of the field. Yeah. So, yeah, that's been a head-scratcher. That's probably the biggest head-scratcher so far this season to me, even more than the quarterback thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. That that That's interesting. Uh, um, that's something to really watch to see if – well, it's hard to know with what they'll do in North – Carolina Central that, that's something to really talk about I wrote about San Diego State that that was a vanilla game plan that we saw um, the running game was almost entirely inside outside zone very little pulling uh, uh, um, just here and there you saw like a couple of pin and pulls um, and it, it's like yeah I, I understand you're you're keeping some some stuff in the chapter of let's bring this out at Utah. But is it something that Chip Kelly has never done before? I, I, I don't know. I'd rather there's, there's arguments on both sides, hold back your playbook. So you've got something that you'll be able to spring on, on Utah, but then against North Carolina central, you're not going to lose. Let's just, we gave them respect, but they're not going to lose. So do you put on tape all of this crazy stuff that Utah's going to have to prepare for that you won't then use against Utah? This is an opportunity. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. Throw out some triple option. Throw out some crazy stuff. Uh, get your Emery and Henry going in this one. Like, do some crazy, crazy things. 
Um, uh, play Colin Schley. Get him in there. Get his pack. Get get the uh, read option going. Yeah, I mean, so the other uh, kind of curiosity for me through the early going is just running back, and I guess I'm like, I don't know. I could kind of go either way on it at this point. I mean, I think Carson Steele has been reasonably good. Um, he's he was very successful against San Diego State, but TJ Harden is basically just as successful and he adds some explosion. Um, and I don't know if it's, uh, his injury history, you know, going down a couple of times last year with injuries that they just want to limit his usage. I don't know if it's promises were made to the guy coming in as a big time transfer. Um, I, I just don't know. All I know is that Harden was the better one in spring. Um, I think Steele looks like he's a slightly better blocker, uh, in the backfield. Um, so I think that might be playing a role here. Um, but I can offer a little bit of insight into this. Um, when it comes to just the first, that one issue of promises made to a transfer, everything I've heard in the context of, uh, this of Carson Steele and the Steele family is that they were like the dream transfer recruit and recruit family just made no demands just were very humble happy to be there just wanted to work hard so i i don't think anything came from their demands there might be if there's something related to that it might be where they feel we have to reward transfers if we're going to keep transfers coming in but then on the other side we need to keep tj harden so there might be there might be a balance there. I know everyone says, "Oh, Chip Kelly will just play who the best player is," and that that's that might be true to a certain extent. But there are other factors. This is big time college football. This isn't. <laughs> I mean, he he can do that to an extent, but he's got to he's got to consider other things. Um, watching these two games, yeah, Carson Steele's been 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 good. That one breakaway run by TJ Harden. So our our concern with him would have been, does he have that breakaway speed? He, not only the explosion in the first five to eight yards, but he took it to another gear and outran San Diego State's defense. Um, that was really impressive to me. I don't necessarily think that Carson Steele if he gets out into open field to the next level, if he's going to have that speed to finish that off, that that to me was the big play. UCLA's running game has been really good last few years, but why it averages so much per carry is not that it's just grinding out four or five yards. It's gotten those big plays, right? Those big chunk run plays that have really made it something. And I just think you need that element, and T.J. Harden lends it more. Yeah, and I don't know if I'm just kvetching here or doing confirmation bias, but um, watching some of Steele's runs, I'm just sitting there and I'm like, he's breaking a tackle, but that tackle wouldn't even be there to be broken if he had a little bit more juice, a little bit more burst. And so, yes, he's very strong, and he breaks arm tackles, but a lot of times the arms are getting to him because he doesn't have... And I'm not... I'm not trying to critique him too much because guys have different strengths, and one of his is truly his strength. Um, yeah. But that that burst, that initial like I'm I'm getting from you know 
I'm getting these five yards quicker than you are. Uh, he doesn't have it at the same level as a lot of running backs we're used to. Uh, TJ Harden, to me, looks a lot like um, he looks a lot like Britton Brown uh, did to me, um, where he's got a burst and he also runs angry, so he's always looking to run into people. But probably a little faster, right? Probably a little bit faster. I think Britton Brown by I, I think he he developed a better burst over his time at UCLA. But yeah, Harden's probably got a little bit on him. Um, Steele doesn't have that burst. He's got a great uh, base. He's got great balance, and he's got that uh, ability to break through arm tackles because he's, you know, 235 pounds of pure muscle or whatever it is. But that that initial burst to not even have to deal with an arm tackle that's going to slow you down for a second, that's the part that's lacking, and it's the part that leads to a lot of, oh, that's a really good 12-yard run. That's a really good 15-yard run. But with a different back out there, maybe that's a 30-yard run or an 80-yard touchdown. You know what I mean? Um, no, exactly. That's exactly what I was saying too. Yeah. Yep. So so that's interesting. Um, it, it it's hard. Obviously, it's impossible to quantify. Like what you just said. What are they leaving on the table? While Carson Seals good, but what are they leaving on the table by by playing? I mean, they have just about that same amount of carries, right? Yeah. If you just tinge that a little towards T.J. Harden, are you missing out on one more big chunk play? Exactly. And I think those are the efficiencies that you're probably going to need once it gets into much more competitive play in a couple of weeks. So, um, yeah, the other story for me this week uh, is, is, and I think for the last two weeks, if we're talking about college football and really the story in college football is just not Colorado and Deion Sanders, but the Pac-12. The Pac-12 ascendant, baby. Eight teams, right? Yep. Wow. And, I mean, it's almost like the college football gods are, are having fun with you. Well, this is the defunct league <laughs> that has the most teams ranked in the AP Top 25. Well, and think about it this way. Would, if, if, if Arizona had pulled off the upset at Mississippi State, or if Cal had beaten Auburn, there would have been definitely at least two more getting votes. Cal did not a, a caveat on Auburn, but Cal did not look bad. Uh, Cal Cal left sixteen points on the table yeah. that they yep. should have scored in that game. Yep. Um, so there's the league as a whole. I would say you did a great story on this earlier this week. Uh, everyone should go back and read it. Um, the only team that I would say looks. Um, well, I would say there's two teams that look about as bad as I was expecting, and they're Stanford and ASU. Every other team has at least a pulse, like at least a, oh, there's an element of danger there. Like you know what though, I'd throw ASU into that. There's an element of you're danger a because when it comes to ASU, ASU but you know looks what? Like ass. No, just look at their first halves. Their first halves have been good. Their second halves have fallen off a cliff. Right. They almost lost to Southern Utah at home, and then Oklahoma State is capital B bad and they lost by 12 at home dominating in the first half uh -huh. all I'm saying there's a flash there's no flash with Stanford no Stanford Stanford I think we got I got a little bit fooled because Hawaii um they they won that game Hawaii almost lost to Albany which is a not good FCS uh, at home last week so uh Stanford yes can they beat the literal worst team in the FBS yes uh, but they're going to lose to Sac State this weekend. 
Um, Stanford might go one and eleven. And Arizona looks good enough to beat you. Yep. They don't look good, but they're good enough to beat you. Arizona um, is about the same team they were last year, and that is Jane Delora's interceptions. They lost the game. They absolutely three, four, insane. Three in the first half. Absolutely yeah. insane. They couldn't upgrade at that position. Um, Arizona, uh, but they're the same dangerous team they were last year, where they're they're super high variance basically dependent on Jaden Delora and how insane he's playing. Um, and like we saw last year, they were capable. Insane, not great. Yeah, mm. no, just yeah. Uh, uh, wild. Yeah. Uh, he, uh, uh, but against UCLA last year, they were able to pull it off. They have that high variance where when the offense is clicking, they're hard to deal with. Um, Washington State. So I first... I watched about a quarter and Washington a half. Washington State's a problem. Before I watched... Before I wrote that piece then i watched the rest they just I, I, caveat on on wisconsin might not be as good as being ranked in the top 25 washington state was good they're a problem <laughs> they've they've yeah. got a much better offense this year than they did last year um yeah it, it's not cameron like, ward looks like he has so much more confidence yeah well he knows he's he doing. knows where to throw it now i mean i think yeah. last year it was a lot of like i don't i, I i'm gonna keep throwing it to the outside to that guy who's gonna gain a yard because uh, i don't know where to put it um, but yeah, you got Washington state. who looks a lot better. Um, you got, I mean, we talked about Cal Cal looks, I, I won't say they look great, but they look like a team that actually has, um, some potential Colorado. It's a team has, that could, this is what we got to say. It's a team that could beat you. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, that, and that's the, the, that's probably the binary way to look at it is the that, only team that couldn't beat them is Stanford. Unless there's some no, kind of no, 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 no. Stanford and ASU. ASU okay. is going to go like two and ten this year. Okay. No, I think they will, but I, I there's going to be some upsets because they have they have a few guys. But you're soft on ASU. I'm just telling you. Have you watched them? You've got loyalties. Did you watch the first two? Have you watched? Oh yeah, these yeah, games? yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. yeah. I'm a sicko. Okay. I've watched I watched both ASU games. They're not good. Yeah. Um, I didn't say they were good. They're not even close. Uh, so all right, but anyway. You've got like this middle that was kind of soft last year. That's now a lot better. You've got Colorado. That's obviously like, they, I mean, they might be one of the top four or five teams. I don't know. Uh, they've got kind of the same problem that UCLA has where we don't Probably. know how good TCU or Nebraska are, but you can just watch Colorado and say that team's a lot better. And they've got some, when you're when you're watching a team and you can say definitively that they've got two of the best players at their respective positions in college football or in the Pac-12 even, in Shador Sanders is one of the top four quarterbacks. Put it in whatever order you want in the Pac-12. Yeah, uh, no, he's he's the difference for me. And Travis Hunter, yeah. who is one of the best receivers and also one of the best cornerbacks in the Pac-12. I don't really line play matters it's going to matter when they play like an organ it's going to matter when they play washington does it matter when they play stanford no is it going to matter when they play cal no they're going to be able to win those games that's a bowl team for sure and definitely a team that's going to be dangerous to ucla so this this schedule at utah and i mean we talked we touched on it a little does does cam rising play in this game would he have to play this week? That's where first. I'm kind of, if he doesn't play this week, and it doesn't sound like he's preparing to, they're preparing to, I think, roll with Nate Johnson, then I don't think you can roll him out there for that game. Yeah. 
that's that's a discussion too. If he doesn't play this week, does he play against UCLA? I mean, does he? That guy is like a. If there's a veteran quarterback, this guy's a veteran quarterback. But is if you he, don't play him against UCLA, you've got Oregon State on the road six days later on a Friday night. That's what I mean. So maybe even if he doesn't play this week, you want him to play at home against UCLA just to get him a feel for playing on the road at Oregon State. Yeah. But, I mean, we, we truly don't know. And uh, point I've made in the past, but, like, a season goes by very fast, and an injury timeline that's delayed even slightly, suddenly half the season's gone, you know? Um, I just got – I just – I just on gut feeling, I think we're going to see Cam Rising I, yeah, I, in Salt Lake. I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, he was at Media Day uh, <laughs> a month and a half ago. Um, yeah. So. Okay, so, obviously uh, – an away game against a top 10 team. Even if Cam Rising doesn't play, that's going to be a very, very difficult game to win. That's the top 10 team away. That that doesn't happen. Last time was 2010 New Heisel at Texas. Right. So it, it very, very, very rarely happens. Uh, Washington State, want to see them more, caveat, obviously, but what we've seen has been impressive. Tough game. At Oregon State, Oregon State are my darlings. I just I love that I love the program. I love the way they play. I love that they emphasize a running game, and then they they have a tough defense. I just and um, uh, new quarterback has has played pretty seamlessly, uh, but caveat haven't played anyone. Still tough game. Then we get at Stanford. Everyone should go because this is going to be the only real, true, easy game of the season. Well, except for ASU. Um, everyone should go to Palo Alto and party in Palo Alto because that's going to be that should be fun to do that. UCLA will be three touchdown favorites. Colorado at Arizona, Arizona State at home at USC Cal. These are at this point, man. This is <clears throat> this is a tough schedule. I mean, except for ASU, it's right gone, in the middle there. Yes, it's gone from soft, a fairly soft schedule with three tough games to a fairly tough schedule with, what, seven games? <laughs> yeah. Six to seven games that are tough? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a good thing to get Cal at home. Like, I, I mean, I wouldn't have been, like, caring one way or the other at the beginning of the season, but getting Cal at home I think is important. Um, I, I think, you know, Arizona at Arizona was always circled as one of those, okay, things could get weird in that game. But Colorado at home, man, I mean, dude, that was one that I think preseason we would have said they're going to be, you know, 17-point uh, favorites in that game. Now it's like it might be a three-point game. It might be a, you know, just because it's at home, UCLA's favored. So, and, and, and going from what everyone was kind of thinking, that Colorado would still be one of the bottom three teams in the conference – to one of the top four teams, yeah, that really shifts everyone's schedule. That even beyond the Washington State kind of thing, or Cal being a little bit better, um, that 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 just that changes everything. Well, it's, you are now you you thought it was going to be three tough games, and now you'd have to say at this point it's of that upper tier that you said it would face. Now it's four. Yeah. Well, and the gauntlet is actually this right in the middle of the season. It's four ranked teams in five games. I mean, it's at Utah, Wazoo, 
then at Oregon State, Stanford is ass, uh, but then it's Colorado at home. Like that's that's currently four teams ranked in the top twenty three. Uh, when I was writing that story, I just kept when I was going over future schedules of all the teams, the amount of every team in the Pac twelve, the amount of teams that of ranked teams they were facing, I don't think I've ever remembered that ever. It's 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 silly, and the funny thing is, it's it's gonna be the same thing next week um, because it's such a bad week in college football. Um, all like, I think there's five uh, PAC 12 games against FCS opponents this week. Um, nobody's playing each other. And I think the closest spread uh, for any of the ranked teams is Washington uh, at Michigan state, which is currently, I think a 16 point game with Washington favored. So, I mean, it's still going to be a top uh, eight teams in the top 25 after this week. And they're all going to be probably a, a hair higher in the rankings. Um, Cause upsets always happen. Um, so yeah, that's a stacked league. That's a, this is going to be um, the best pack 12 since uh, Jim Mora's second year is probably how good it's going to be. And if you remember yeah. that year, that Jim Mora team 2013 was his best team and they didn't even win the division because ASU was really good. USC was good. Arizona was good. Utah was good. Stanford was good. Oregon was good. Everybody was kind of good. And there were some teams that were playing. I mean, Arizona State had its best team in the last 25 years in 2013. That's the kind of year that UCLA is facing this year where everyone has stepped up their game in, you know, kind of, very strangely, the last ever year for the Pac-12, and that's 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 the thing that we have to underline again. The Pac-12 has been headlines for a year, especially in the last three or four months. I mean, it it's it's dead. It's over. Blow taps, and <laughs> the fact that it it is having its arguably its strongest season in twenty five years. Yeah. Well, right now. So. Uh, so, what do you say, dude? Did you all screw up in keeping this league together, or what? Okay, that's all I want to say. Uh, I'm not even going to say. I just said, dude. So you can you can uh, apply that to whatever dude you think was responsible. Great, great. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but currently rated the number two league in all of college football behind SEC. Yeah, 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 yeah. and and uh, yeah. I mean, I'm just saying you could make an argument like we've always talked about, especially since UCLA got admitted into the Big Ten. Uh, the Big Ten is strong on the top, right? Uh, but then it kind of falls off a cliff. Uh, eight Pac-12 teams that are good. Uh, I mean, you don't have the top end. You kind of do a little with US, USC. You don't have four top end teams, but the quality for the top eight I mean, you tell me, does the SEC hold up on the quality of its top eight? Well, you got to think of it this way. Does it hold up on the quality of its top 66%? Yeah. Um, and the answer is no. Uh, the Big Ten definitely doesn't. Um, this year, no. I mean, I think by the end of the year, I don't think they will quite overtake the SEC uh, in terms of overall quality, but they're going to be pretty close. Um, so someone needs a write-in. Get a media deal worth $80 million for the Pac-12 and everyone reneges on their deals and it stays together. Well, so here's the shocking thing and a little food for thought before we leave you. Um, if the Pac-12 media deal had extended for another three years instead of being up after this season, um, 
and then they put together a year like this. And then, you know, in in a lot of these cases, it's going to be sustained. I mean, Colorado, as as short time as Dion may be there, it's not going to be a single year. Um, and that, that recruiting machine is only building. Um, and someone would have pulled their head out of their butt and decided that maybe UCLA and USC should get a bigger cut of the pie. Right. Um, but, I mean, Lincoln Riley's USC, I mean, even without Caleb Williams, is going to be the same Oklahoma machine it was. Uh, but Washington State getting right, Oregon State continuing to build under Jonathan Smith. The Pac-12 would have been good for a couple of years uh, towards the end of their media deal. That would, I know people like to say, oh, no, it's all based on geographic value. It's all based on this kind of stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. It would have meaningfully changed the numbers. Um, it would have meaningfully changed what would have been proposed for the different teams in the league. Uh, yeah, I mean, people have to come to, if Stanford were the Stanford from eight years ago, it would have changed, just that would have changed the whole, the the profile of, of the Pac-12. What people need to realize is people, like even people you think of as very smart who are in charge of these big businesses and all this kind of stuff, they still make stupid decisions. They still make emotional decisions. I've they learned still make that things over the years, Dave, on, yes. Based on feel. And if the Pac-12, the feeling around it was one of um, vitality, one of competing, one of competing for championships, then the entire discussion about the way the media deal is even framed, even if the numbers weren't f- significantly different, but even if just the framing were different, the whole conversation would be uh, drastically, drastically changed. And if it was coming off of this rather than literally and by hook and by crook, the worst five-year period for the Pac-12 ever, um, which is what the last five years were, uh, yeah, it would have been a different deal. Very, very bad timing. Yeah. So anyway, uh, anyway. we got anything else? Have a good weekend. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a tight hour. We're tight. We are tight. All right. Well, everyone, uh, enjoy NC Central this weekend. Uh, By the way, a bro went and got the earwax taken out this week, and he had never done it in his life, and he said it was absolutely life-changing. Okay, yeah. Just no, you, uh, you lose your balance a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Okay. Well, with that, uh, we'll leave you. Uh, I'm David Woods. He's Tracy Pearson, and we will talk to you again next time. See you all.